Good afternoon, it's Friday, August 25th. This is Brian Janikowski, I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Takenverts, and let's get started. Uh, so Christian, there was not much news this week, but we did have the Jackson Hole Symp- Symposium where uh, Chair Yellen spoke, and her her speech was rather interesting in that she took a different view uh, than President Trump in the sense that her view was that regulation or deregulation um, may be uh, a threat uh, and may make the banking sector uh, less able to to handle an economic crisis. What are your thoughts on on what she said? Um, well, first, she pe- people were waiting for some perhaps commentary on monetary policy. Then it became earlier clear earlier in the week that she was going to talk about. Uh, financial security and the regulatory framework, which is actually what the title of the Jackson Hole Symposium was. So perhaps no, no surprises. But I, th- I thought she made a very good speech. It didn't really hit the headlines at all. Um, although I think the, the market chose to interpret it as a little bit dovish and bonds rallied o- on Friday. But I, I thought the substance of her speech was very good about the um, financial frameworks and regulations that have been put in place over the last 10 years. And it's sort of emphatically making it a, a safer place for uh, for financial markets, although she did acknowledge that some bond market liquidity had suffered as a result. Um, but there was an interesting footnote, uh, footnote 13, if you want to chase it down, uh, which is that she talked about some of the tools on macroprudential regulation. So these are tools, really, that, that central banks can make on the fly. A lot of other central banks have them at their disposal. So if they feel that the, the lending is getting a little bit too frothy, they can tell banks to change their loan to debt ratios or loan to income ratios or loan to mortgage ratios sort of on the fly by sort of tightening things as they go along. And that's a pretty useful tool to have around the U- and the US doesn't have it. So I think that really- What the, does the US have? Not allowed to do that. The Fed is not allowed to do that. Fed sort of set, sets rules and then just says this is what you've got to got to got to uh, stick to. Okay. Uh, so it's a very rules-driven approach, whereas mm. a lot of other central banks use a combination of rules and practice approach, which personally I think is better. But it's not really what what uh, the history of the U.S. Uh, um, financial regulation has been. Um, so yes, it does put her. To back to your question, it does put her a little bit at odds, although she's too much of a professional to sort of get into a political spat with the uh, with the administration. But g- given where re-regulation is going on the banking side, I think it's pretty clear from her remarks, and indeed Vice Chairman Fisher's, who's made this point several times over the last uh, uh, six months to a year, that the changing some of the regulations could be at, at risk to the uh, financial U.S. financial system. So you see our financial system today as much safer than it was 10 years ago, given these new regulations. I think it's safer. I don't think it's as safe as it could be. When you have so much of the U.S. banking system tied up with fewer and fewer banks, it's a more concentrated industry today than it was 10 years ago after all the mergers. I know people point to places like Canada and say, well, there the banking system is dominated by three or four players and what possible uh, problems can they have. But I think it's slightly different here. And these are big um, integrated banks, not just, you know, just retail banks. So it doesn't seem to be anything on the horizon right now. But the nature of, uh, of, of crashes and and upsets, you don't know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, you sort of tie up 
your, your regulations fight the last war. Right. So we probably won't have collateralized debt obligations or big mortgage problems again, right. but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're free and clear of uh, other financial problems. Very good point. Um, so I want to turn to Europe. Um, and Europe has been doing great this year, but you wrote specifically about Spain this week. And I uh, would like you to tell us a little bit about what's been going on uh, in Spain and why it is demonstrating this kind of Eurozone recovery. Yeah, well, uh, we kind of picked on Spain because it had, uh, had some very good numbers this year. GDP growth has been going at about 3% a year. Now, Spain was one of the hardest hit economies out of the Eurozone crash post-2008. And if you remember, there's a rather unfortunate acronym at the time called PIGS, which stood for Portugal, Ireland, Greece, and Spain, uh, if memory serves. Where these were the, these were the c- countries which were deemed to have really gone over the top in their mortgage lending practices, had big explosions of real estate, housing prices, commercial, private development, uh, and had really overstretched themselves. And of course, they went into a huge recession that lasted, in Spain's case, nearly six years. Uh, we, just to put that in context, we've never had a recession of over a year uh, uh, in the last um, 30, 40 years. And, uh, and this went on for a really depressing six years and took 10% out of GDP. It was a huge number. Uh, so, so Spain is sort of slowly coming back. It's not, it's, you know, unemployment is still astronomically high, uh, 17%. But it's certainly better than it, it used to be. So we just took Spain as a good example. We know Northern Europe the, is doing well. We know Germany is doing well with the exports, and it's a huge capital account, uh, in huge capital account surplus um, uh, generator. But you know some of the countries like uh, Italy and and Spain, um, who really took a took a hard beating. It was just nice to see that some of the Spanish numbers are coming back. And actually, I've forgotten Italy. That was the there were pigs were spelt with two eyes, and it was <laughs> Ireland and Italy. Yeah. Uh, and so again, it's good to see that coming back. Following up on that, we should uh, we should. There is a distinction between saying Europe is doing well and saying the Eurozone is doing well. And what we mean is is the Eurozone is ex-UK. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts, Christian, on if Brexit has really kind of permanently handicapped uh, the UK going forward. And, and is this, you know, what is that based on? Is that based on trade? Um, but, you know, is there pain in the future for Britain uh, because of Brexit for many years to come? Well, uh, I think so. I mean, it remains to be seen. And obviously, people were divided on this. And economists much more qualified than I am uh, are are certainly divided on it. But I do think that the confidence dent has been pretty high. We have saw some pretty large UK companies uh, over the last week, WPP, which is one of the biggest advertising companies, really leads the world in mm-hmm. in sort of online advertising, issued a huge profits warning. Um, uh, the um, uh, Dixon's car, uh, phone car, it's called Car Phone Network, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's a retailer of, uh, of cell and re- uh, of cellular mobile phones. They have a big profit warning, um, and then a, a financial company, Profit Financial, had a big uh, its share price went down about seventy percent. So there are definitely some concerns that these these things are happening in the background. I mean, the 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 the, the weakness in sterling has to affect import prices and inflation. It's a very open economy. Uh, inflate a weak a weak sterling feeds through to import and CPI prices pretty quickly. 
you know, we'll have to wait and see. It's all about the mm-hmm. negotiations. But as you know, we've lightened up in the UK a lot. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about Europe and the uh, the good changes we see going on there, we're exclusively defining that as the Eurozone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's just countries in Europe who use the Euro mm-hmm. uh, and excluding the UK, which uh, which seems to be still going through some pretty major adjustments to the uncertainty caused by Brexit. And then finally to the domestic picture, we've been keeping our eye on this for a couple of weeks and we'll continue to, but the debt ceiling. Uh, Donald Trump came out this week and and kind of doubled down on um, his funding for the wall that he would like to build. Uh, You know, what happened, you know, rather than saying what's going to happen, because we can't predict that, what happened in the stock market? Um, when we had this standoff uh, a few years ago, I believe in 2013. Um, And what perhaps could that tell us about what might happen with markets this time around? Yes, well, um, we we included a graph in our blog this week uh, about what happened in 2013. So the stock market was down about 5% in the month just prior to the uh, debt ceiling showdown, which I think was about about, uh, October the 13th. And then it bottomed out in the middle of those negotiations and then had a rally. Now, there were other things going on at the time, and I think the stock market was in a generally uh, you know, upward trend, which was interrupted for about five or six weeks. Um, so that, so uh, that, that was definitely the equity market taking a big hit. Bonds sort of reacted earlier and recovered earlier. I mean, it, it, you know, 10-year treasuries tend to sort of... Uh, because they're so liquid, tend to be a bellwether for for you know concerns uh, in, in 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 things like debt and fiscal concerns, and um, and that uh, had a pretty weak uh, six weeks um, six weeks going into the debt ceiling, but then recovered um, almost almost before it had finished. So it kind of viewed that the shutdown would come to an agreement. So what can we expect? Well, I, I think we're going to be in for a little bit of a rough time. Uh, Congress reconvenes on September the 5th, the 5th. They've only got 12 working days because Congress and Senate have to be sitting at the same time and they mm-hmm. swap off in the third week. So Senate sits on its own and then Congress sits House sits on its own. They don't come back together again until after the date. So they've got a lot of work to do in a short space of time. And I think... Um, uh, you know, I might be wrong. I hope I am, but I think markets will be a little bit nervous uh, going into this. Do you see this as a, a temporary volatility, or something that may last, um, even if the uh, the debt ceiling gets extended and that that political kind of fight uh, is resolved? I think it'll be temporary because I think the debt ceiling will get resolved. It's just really a concern under what terms. And we know pretty much the Fed's pathway for monetary easing for the rest of the year. We know, unless we get some big surprises on growth to the upside, uh, we kind of pretty much know what the economy's trajectory is. And I, and I think the Treasuries will sort of settle in in this two. 220 to 240 range, which they've been actually stuck in for a very long time. It's a very narrow range. So I mm-hmm. think that will reassert itself. But uh, uh, yeah, we, we, we could see some, uh, some scares in the next uh, five, five to six weeks. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, everyone, t- for listening. Thanks, uh, thanks Emily. And uh, here's our disclosure. Uh, please note this discussion of investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments and investment strategy at Davis Commentary. Subject to change without notice, we cannot assure that the type of investments discussed in this commentary will outform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present 
the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future is for general information purposes. Only references to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation of buyers. So that security security is mentioned in this commentary and several of the successful and unsuccessful investments. Buyers do not represent all the securities who have purchased or recommended. Although we deem reliable a source of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past form is no indication of further results.